1: Major Garrett, yes, CBS, yes, hi.
2: Ladies and gentlemen, please welcome Major Garrett. From the nation's
1: capital. Major, fantastic. It's The Takeout. Major. With CBS News Chief Washington correspondent. Major, that's nonsense.
2: Major Garrett. And you should know better. Thank you, thank you. Thank you. Welcome to the very best part of my broadcast week. I'm Major Garrett, host and creator of this amazing program known as The Takeout. Faceting conversation this week, ladies and gentlemen. It's going to be a double header. We don't do this very often. Actually, we've never done it in this particular format, but let us be candid. COVID-19 requires all manner of adaptation. So we have two guests and we're going to break the show into two segments each for each of these two guests. The first, Mayor Steve Adler of the great city of Austin, Texas. Later, in the back two segments, at least for our radio audience, will be the mayor of Provo, Utah. Her name is Michelle Cafusi. So, Mr. Mayor, it's great to have you with us. I know there are a lot of intense conversations going on between the governor of Texas, the attorney general, you and those in Travis County, which Austin resides within. We'll get to that in a second. I just want to get a sense at your local level, how are things going in Austin right now? How are you coping and what are you dealing with?
1: Well, I think we're dealing with lots of things. Uh, we're dealing with a community that's worked really hard to, to really tamp down the, the, the virus. We were much more successful than we, than we thought we could have been. Uh, but we have a community that's really hurting uh, because of the economic uh, impact uh, of having, having done that. Uh, and it's a it's pretty painful for, for a lot of people. Uh, we are torn between wanting to to increase uh, social and, and, and commercial uh, interactions uh, with making sure that people are safe and we save as many lives as we can. Um, we're dealing with the, all the uncertainty that everyone else is dealing with, and not knowing for sure what what reopen behaviors might mean in terms of. Uh, reaching back to to surges. No one knows the answer to that question. Uh, So we're trying to to build the infrastructure to be able to monitor that as best we can so that we can act timely to protect ourselves if it's determined that we're on the wrong path. Everybody is uh, in in trying to muster the best spirits to deal with uh, all of those anxieties and uncertainties.
2: When you say your residents are hurting, can you describe that to my audience?
1: Well, we have tens of thousands of people that are uh, filing for unemployment compensation. Uh, we're, we're losing now. Uh, we just lost yesterday uh, uh, another iconic restaurant uh, that's been uh, in our city for, for decades and has announced that they will not be uh, reopening. Uh, we just have a lot of people out of work, a lot of people not bringing in income, a lot of tenants that can't pay rent, and a lot of landlords that uh, then have trouble paying mortgages. Um, we have a lot of people that are struggling to find food to, to eat and, and, and the ability to get the medicines that they need. Uh, so it is, we're dealing with uh, uh, immediate fires. Uh, uh, so to speak, in order to deal with those immediate challenges. Uh, And at the same time, we're trying to build a resilient path uh, out of this experience uh, so that our city can best respond.
2: And what kind of orders have you issued in this COVID-19 crisis?
1: Well, we issued uh, orders uh, early uh, in in the process, uh, beginning with uh, declaration uh, of, the, uh, uh, of the emergency at the time that we canceled South by Southwest back in the first week of, of
2: a massive Austin. festival that brings <clears throat> tens of thousands of people to Austin. Hundreds of thousands. Hundreds of thousands.
1: Uh, and uh, about the, the same kind of uh, economic activity generated by, by hosting a Super Bowl. Uh, And we we canceled that. That was one of the first such things to happen in the country. And it was an outlier at the time. Uh, I think subsequent events have proven it to be the the right decision. But at the time, uh, incredibly difficult, recognizing that so many people would lose their jobs. And many businesses got their year profit uh, margin uh, during those weeks. Uh, So it was very difficult to do. Uh, but we have then amped up the, the, the orders that we have to encourage and, and order people to uh, effectively stay at home uh, with exceptions for essential uh, and, and critical activities. You know, When we did that, like other cities, we were watching what was happening in New York, and we didn't know for sure that you could do that or that a community would respond in a way that would enable us to avoid a surge, I remember watching uh, Governor Cuomo on television uh, and he looked out at the television audience and I swear he was looking right at me. And he said, uh, you pay attention to this because this is what is coming to you in two weeks. Uh, and at that point in time, we didn't know that that wasn't true. Uh, so uh, we, we uh, together with uh, major cities and counties around uh, the state, Uh, acted to to impose those kinds of orders in order to to stop the surge. Uh, They were successful. Uh, The the governor joined uh, in an order that uh, basically extended what we were doing statewide, Uh, and we've been living under those. Uh, The governor has been layering in uh, additional exceptions to to the general rule, uh, and, and that 's where we are right now. We amend our orders to be consistent with, uh, with the governor 's uh, orders, uh, but but also trying to, to communicate uh, that this is not over uh,
2: and there 's still a lot of work for us to, to, to do and there 's friction there, and uh, friction has become evident recently with the governor saying that his orders supersede your or any locality's orders about staying home or any enforcement mechanism a local government might try to use. Where does that stand and how do you respond to the governor and the attorney general essentially saying what they say goes and not what you say goes?
1: You know, we're we're real focused uh, on trying not to let this whole issue get politicized. Uh, I did get a, a letter from uh, someone in the attorney general's office threatening the city with a lawsuit, and it's unfortunate. It was the first real politicization uh, of this crisis, uh, but we're saying, trying to stay real focused on keeping the community stay focused on the science and uh, and uh, the the data, and then trying really hard not to have confused messages. Uh, at this point, we've been uh, making our orders uh, consistent and complementary of the, of the state's orders, uh, but we have uh, changed, uh, uh, in some ways, the, the messaging and the communication. I'll give you an example. Uh, the governor uh, and the lieutenant governor have both expressed the importance of everyone wearing face coverings uh, in our state, uh, and they're advocates for that. Uh, we made that mandatory uh, in our city. Uh, because we think that it's that important and would actually assist and make more successful the possibility of being able to to reopen some of the the businesses. But the governor issued an order that specifically said that cities were not able to uh, impose criminal or civil penalties associated with the failure to wear uh, a mask. What I chose to do in the city was to keep it mandatory Uh, as we had, but then expressly say in bold type uh, that there's no criminal or civil penalty associated with the failure to to wear it, saying instead that the penalty for failure to wear a a face covering in Austin is that more people will get sick and some of them will die. Uh, That should be penalty enough in our community to motivate behavior. The uh, Attorney General, I think, thinks that's confusing, Uh, to people to have something that's mandatory with that kind of penalty. Uh, I don't think that it's consistent. I don't think it's inconsistent with what the governor did. I think that it's exactly following the governor's order. I think it's really important that people in our city continue to wear face coverings. And whether I use the word mandatory or critical and imperative, uh, uh, I think it's all the same. Uh, So we're, we're, we're trying to communicate to a confused public that it doesn't know whether to believe that the crisis is over or not, and it is not over, and we're going to continue to
2: try to message. Them. That's the voice of Steve Adler, the mayor of the great city of Austin, Texas. More on our conversation about what his jurisdiction is, what it isn't, the legal advice he's being given, the clash with the governor and the Attorney General of Texas. I'm Major Garrett. You're listening to, watching, and thoroughly enjoying the Takeout. Back for segment two.
1: CBS News.
2: This is The Takeout with Major Garrett. Welcome to our Takeout audience across the country, across the world. More than 70 great radio stations, podcast platforms, and of course, our lovely audience on CBSN. Uh, we're talking to Mayor Steve Adler, the great city of Austin, Texas, a place I've been to many times. Um, and because we are living in this adaptive climate, ladies and gentlemen, uh, and the mayor is a busy person who gets email notifications... Well, email notifications make a sound sometimes, so if you hear a little bing, that's the mayor getting an email, and we hope it's nothing so intensely important that he has to dive into it and leave our program, but if that's what happens, that's what happens. We're adapting as we go. So, Mr. Mayor, uh, obviously you have a legal counsel. I'm not sure what the formal title is in Austin, but you have been, I'm sure, having intense conversations about the legal authority at the municipal level. As it relates to the county and the state, we're all trying to sort these things out. They don't really get that in high school or even college civics courses. So what is your understanding of the parameters, the limits of your jurisdictional authority?
1: Well, I'd say that it's it's a perhaps a complicated legal issue and one, frankly, that I, that I want to try to avoid testing uh, to, to the fullest extent I can. Right. Uh, you know, when the governor moves to reopen businesses, the truth is, is that if he opens barbershops and he opens nail salons, as he has done, I can't say definitively that that kind of behavior is going to lead us to a surge, uh, because no one knows. The modelers can't identify a specific behavior with a uh, certain uh, slope on a, on a surge line. Uh, and in that respect, this is a, a big experiment that we're all going through to, together. Now, if I was governor, I wouldn't have opened those things because intuitively uh, they seem to me like they'd be a, a big leak uh, in, the, in the system. Uh, but really what, what we need to focus on is then actually monitoring closely the data. How do my hospitalizations start changing? Because if my hospitalizations per day new hospitalizations start changing. Uh, I'm going to be able to see that. One of the things that we have learned and earned over the last six to eight weeks in this community is we can now model with our community's data. We're not dependent on pulling in data from cities around the world or theoretical models. So, so we can watch on a daily basis what's happening with new hospitalizations in time for us to be able to say we are a, we are on a slope that will lead us to an overrunning of our hospitals, so we need to act. We're monitoring that, our community's monitoring that. We can see it on a day-to-day basis. Uh, I hope and trust that my governor is looking at the same information and data that I am, so that if we end up on the wrong slope and we're we're approaching uh, a line that has us overwhelming our hospitals, the governor will act. Uh, because uh, he said that he's being governed by the science and the data. If there's a real issue, it would arise then. Uh, At this point, we're trying to be complimentary.
2: And back to this point of friction over face coverings, you would prefer that the governor and the attorney general not tell you you can't make it mandatory, correct?
1: I would prefer them to say that that I'm not prohibited from having a civil or criminal penalty associated with it, which is what they've done. I think that's a confusing message. I'm still going to make it mandatory. The governor's uh, order didn't say I couldn't make it mandatory. It just said I couldn't punish it with a civil criminal order. But in that, I think it's confusing when the, when the governor and the tenant governor say, this is what everybody should do. It's confusing when wearing face coverings makes it more likely that the governor's plan to reopen our businesses will be successful. But when we can't uh, when we're not given enforcement powers, uh, it's confusing to, to people in the public because they think, well, they're not really serious. About right. it.
2: And, the, and, and the question, it seems to me here, and I'm not trying to be glib or oversimplify it, but there's been this assertion that constitutional rights are being violated and a face covering is just too much for a municipality or a state or any governmental entity to require. And it sort of goes down to, well, do your civil rights extend... Farther than six feet, if you sneeze, well, do you have a constitutionally protected right to infect somebody if you are unknowingly carrying the virus, which you can for this virus for many, many days? I mean, we're not going to find that in any law book that I'm aware
1: of. Well, it would be one thing if the decision of whether or not to wear a face covering was about whether or not you wanted to assume a risk for yourself. That would be one thing. But that's not what it is. You don't wear a face covering to protect yourself. You wear a face covering to protect the cashier that's across the counter from you at the grocery store. And no one has a constitutional right to put that cashier uh, at a a physical risk. Uh, That right does not exist. There may be rights to your own risks that you take for yourself, but that's
2: not what we're talking about here. And even in communities that were... Aligned and communally together, like church choirs. We've read stories about church choirs back in the early stages of this, unwittingly spreading the virus. I mean, they want to be together. They're they're, they're close friends. They're doing something that's a uh, exercise in joy, and yet the danger was there. In fact, the studies uh,
1: that I've seen uh, indicate that you are your most infectious infectious to other people when you're still somatic asymptomatic or early symptomatic Uh, so that so that may be the most important time and people don't know which is when when they could be infecting someone else which is why you absolutely have to wear the face cover you're exactly right Uh, and you know when you look at South Korea you know infamous patient 31 uh, that that uh, took uh, their their infection and spread it to over a thousand people with someone that went to church Uh, and unknowingly uh, infected uh, people around her.
2: So there's been some commentary about if I go to a restaurant in Austin, someone might want to know who I am uh, for future contact tracing purposes. Is that actually happening? And your reaction to criticism that it is Orwellian? You know, my last
1: uh, order uh, suggested Uh, but did not require restaurants to to keep a log of who was there, not too dissimilar to the reservation list that restaurants keep now when someone calls in and says, I want to get a table, and you give them your name and phone number. I said, why don't you keep a list? And I I made it voluntary, uh, uh, optional. Uh, I said it would be helpful, I specifically provided that the city didn't want to own it or control it, that they should destroy it after a month. And I specifically said it couldn't be used in any kind of criminal enforcement or other action. It was purely for, for contact tracing. And I did that uh, because if we're going to be able to contain this virus in a way that enables businesses to reopen, one of the things we need to do is the contact tracing and everyone's heard about that now, but it's, it's the belief that if someone comes up confirmed, I wanna be able to get to everybody that that person has been around uh, for the last seven to 14 days so that they can get tested so that they can get isolated too. If I went to a restaurant, I would wanna know that the person sitting next to the table next to me uh, had the infection. If I was at a restaurant and my server had the virus, I would want to know that. Uh, but it's going to be impossible for our contact tracers to get to everybody that someone's been around unless we have help. So I don't, I don't think it's Orwellian in any way. It's something that I would appreciate as a customer. You know, frankly, I, I will not go into a restaurant that's not doing that kind of thing just because I want personally that added protection for, for me. And I've suggested that that restaurants uh, consider doing that.
2: Mr. Mayor, we have a minute left, and it's tough, tough to t- t- cover all of this in one minute. But the future of the University of Texas in Austin, do you expect it will be open fully this fall?
1: I don't think we know the answer to that. You know, I fully expect it to be open. Uh, it's open now, doing classes remotely. Uh, I don't really know what it looks like in the fall. I think we'll learn a lot more based on what the data that we see, even over the next, the next month. Uh, I think it's probably unlikely that there are gatherings at, at football games with, uh, with 100,000
2: people. But it's an enormous campus. Can you imagine students reengaging there in person?
1: You know, I, I, difficulty. You know, but we have people living all over our city. Uh, but the proximity in dormitories, I think, you know, could conceivably be challenging. Uh, but we're trying to work through those things right now, as is the university.
2: Mr. Mayor, Steve Adler, the mayor of Austin, Texas, it's been a great pleasure to talk to you. Thanks so very much. Stick around because we'll have you in the especial. But for this po- for moment and to let everyone know in segments three and four, we'll talk to you, Provo, Utah, Mayor Michelle Kafuzi. But for right now, Mr. Mayor, it's been a pleasure. Thank you. Thank you.
0: CBS News.
1: This is the takeout
2: with Major Garrett. Welcome back, everybody. As I told you at the top of the show, kind of a double header, a fascinating, I hope, doubleheader, because one of the great truths about adapting to COVID-19 is how this is happening at the local level and what those who are in positions of leadership at the local level are doing, who they're listening to, how they're interacting with their community, what they're hearing back from their community. We just had two segments with the mayor of Austin, Texas, Steve Adler. Now I want to bring another mayor into the conversation, Michelle Kafusi, who is the mayor of Provo, Utah. Madam Mayor, it's wonderful to talk to you. I hope you are well. How are things there?
3: I am doing well, thank you, and it's a real privilege to be on with you, Major. This is such a critical situation, and we're anxious to visit about it.
2: Okay. So when you say it's a critical situation, I know in Utah, the numbers have been compared to the nation at large, comparatively and happily lower. Yes. Uh, How have you achieved that? Or how do you believe the state's achieved that? What have you seen in Provo? And how are you adapting to the future?
3: Well, that's just been such an amazing experience. When you decide to run for mayor of a city of about 120,000, you never think in a million years, you're going to deal with a pandemic so none of us really are prepared for this we didn't have any training but the best part of it right here in preble we have jumped in with both feet and we immediately went into our emergency meetings and came up with a four-step community safety plan and proceeded that plan and pushed it out into the community um i'm sure you probably know i didn't instate any orders which is unique because even the mayors in the city that are are of the larger cities like I am did. And I chose not to for a specific reason, which is I believe the citizens of Provo, I trust them and I I feel like they trust me and I believe they have the ability to self-regulate.
2: And that is saying that you had recommendations, but no orders.
3: Exactly. So we had some guidelines and and our, our whole plan started with, number one, collaborate and communicate and mitigate. And then my favorite one, which I've really pushed out, is proceed with calm preparedness. Because that is the key. If we stay calm, but focus on being prepared, it really tends to calm everything down and everyone tends to think clear.
2: And as you see, as I know you must A bit of chafing in some parts of the country, people feeling that their rights are being either infringed, some cases people talk of their rights being violated. Yes. What's your reaction when you see that, and did you ever have any fear that at some point, if things got out of control, you might have to issue orders in a place like Provo?
3: So that's the beauty, right, of being a mayor, is you get all sides. So I get the people telling me, If people die, I'm going to have blood on my hands. If I put a shelter in place order, then I am violating their civil liberties and and not listening, following the constitution. So that's tricky. You have to step back. You have to take all that into consideration and then you proceed. And I still, my email fills up on both sides every morning. (laughs) How do you
2: deal with that? How does that make you feel?
3: It's worrisome at times because uh, I'm one of these that isn't reactive. I'm not a panic person that hits the panic button. I like to read and soak things in and and have some time to think about it before I come out with a decision. But it is, it's very um, unsettling. Believe me, I am on top of the data, the numbers. I am in constant communication with our county health department, our governor, our hospitals. I am in full collaboration with all these people every day. I, I actually host a huddle with all the mayors and we, that's all we talk about is what's going on with your city, how can we help each other, things like that.
2: Mayors in the state or mayors nationwide?
3: Mayors in the state.
2: Okay, so just back to this for a second. Blood on your hands is a heavyweight phrase.
3: Yeah, they are really good at sending emails that can, you know, really kind of take your breath away for a minute.
2: And um, f- where are you right now in terms of cases, uh, stress or not stress on your hospital system, testing? Yes. And are you, I'll just leave it right there and there's some more things to talk about after that.
3: Yeah, so we have flattened the curve and we are coming out. We in the sit the Utah County, which is we go by counties as far as this, how we're managing the pandemic. We are at 11 deaths. Um, We have tested thousands and the beauty of the testing piece is, like I stated, the people in Provo know how to step up. We're a tech company. That's what we're known for. So Silicon Slope stepped up and said, Mayor, how can we help? And they came up with this. They donated money and they do testutah.com. It's drive-through testing all over. And because of that, people can get on the app, drive-through, be tested. Um, so that piece has played in and been very helpful. Another piece is I've been in the hospitals. I'm telling you, Utah knows how to save for a rainy day and how to be prepared. Our hospitals are so prepared. Um, our our people, our PPE, our, we actually have so many medical professionals on the go. We've been sending them out to New York to help because we just have been able to manage it so well. We don't have the high numbers.
2: So Utah calls itself the beehive state. Uh, it takes great pride in the metaphor about a beehive, that is to say industrious, mm-hmm. socially cooperative, socially collaborative. Is there something about that that has made all of this maybe marginally easier or maybe significantly easier?
3: I would say significantly easier. And companies have, instead of shutting their doors, even the small ones have said, Mayor, how can I help? I'm not going to close my doors. In fact, what I was thinking is I'm going to prepare 100 lunch bags every day, set them at our front counter, no questions asked. Will you let the citizens know they can walk in and if they need to feed 10 lunches to their kids, grab 10 and walk out. I mean, that's the kind of collaboration we have right now. Um, our big Qualtrics, who's an $8 billion company right here in Provo, he called and said, I'm going to help get us get through this pandemic. I'm going to buy 50 lunches a day from a different store in Provo every day, Mayor, and you tell me where to send those lunches. We have fed our first responders, our hospital workers, our Parks and Rec people who are still managing the parks. I mean, it's just, I mean, it probably, in fact, if we keep talking, I will probably start to cry because it's just so tender that everyone, instead of collapsing and thinking, oh, poor us, a pandemic, you know, doom and gloom, people have just really stepped up in Provo.
2: How have you handled the question of religious observation? The LDS church is a very important part of the state of Utah. When I was young, several of my friends were members of the church. I went to some services. I have a general sense. Every church service is close, but there's a communal part of that process. How have you worked through that, either with church leadership or in your local community?
3: That is a great question. And, and the beauty of Provo is we have diversity, so we have all other types of religions as well. But the, all the churches have been very good <clears throat> about following the, the guidelines of social distancing. So they've been creative. They've, you know, said, please look out for your neighbor, but we are not meeting right now. We are not um, gathering more than 20 people at this point. We're potentially going to open up to 50 in the next little while. But the churches are so careful because nobody wants to be the hotspot that says, oh, wow, they just tracked back this big outbreak to our city. So other than the big communal meetings, we're just doing little things and taking care of our neighbors and looking out for each other. That's the way we're managing it now.
2: And is there some online services as well? There
3: has been some Zoom meetings you can join, um, which have been phenomenal. It's, it's pretty much, again, because this is just how we are. We trust each other and we self-regulate. If you would like to, the uh, invitation's there. If you wanna jump in and have some service of some sort on Sunday, it's available.
2: What about the future of Brigham Young University in terms of the fall semester?
3: Yeah, that is a good question. So BYU has already canceled all their summer events, their summer kids camps, which you know impacts Provo because we're a college town. So our economy gets hit when we don't have all those kids' parents coming and staying in our hotels and, and buying food. So it's a hit for all of us. Um, I haven't talked to President Worthen recently Again, we're following protocols of, of directions from the County Health Department and the Governor, and they are as well. I'm sure everybody is hoping that at s- some capacity we open up again with our university and and are able to to start getting back to normal come September. They start in September.
2: That's Michelle Kafusi, Mayor of Provo, Utah State. Stay with us, everyone on Radio and CBSN. Back for segment four of the takeout in just a second.
1: CBS News, this is The Takeout with Major Garrett.
2: Welcome back to our double header edition of the Takeout this week. Two mayors, different parts of the country, different issues, different parties. Although I, most mayors will tell you, the partisanship is not a big part of the job. Michelle Kafusi is our guest right here. She's the mayor of Provo, Utah. Now, Mayor Kafusi and I met when I was in Utah several months ago doing a story about refugee resettlement. So, she's not a stranger to me and I'm not a stranger to her, but this conversation at the local level is vital to how our country is going to Embrace and adapt to this new reality. So, Madam Mayor, uh, we were talking before the break about Brigham Young University uh, as a college town. How much of your economy, how much of the sociability of the city, is driven by full active, full activation of BYU?
3: Well, it is, and like I state, we're a, we're a college town, and it will hit us. We're going to take a hit on this and it'll be an impact. The beauty of it is we, uh, I'm a penny pincher, so since I've been mayor, we have been saving and saving and, and building up our rainy day fund. It is at almost as high as legally it can go, so I am proud to say I have been very surgical with my city's budget. We've made some cuts. It's budget season for the cities, by the way, right now, and I am, it's raining, so I'm dipping into the Rainy Day Fund, and I'm going to help supplement some of those loss that we're getting from not having um, Brigham Young University open and the different businesses that are struggling in one capacity or another. We are prepared. I, I praise my, um, my almost 2,000 employees for being so frugal when I've asked, but now's the time to step up and, and help them and help the city.
2: Did it give you a shudder when you read, as I'm sure you did, that the Cal State system in California already announced that for the fall, it's going to be going to a largely virtual campus scenario?
3: Yes, and I also heard of a second one this morning, and I can't recall exactly which one that is. That did, because we, and I don't know how you feel, but we are such social people. We are, we meet each other, and we (laughs) like to talk, and we like to visit, so it's, it's not only the, um, darn it, we can't go open the campus, but the socialization and the mental health, all of that is what I consider when we talk about these, these um, universities and businesses staying shut. It's, it's really hard to balance all that.
2: I imagine, right, let me ask you, are you getting emails to that effect? Are you at some level concerned about the mental health of your community?
3: Absolutely, I, I, you know, my chief of police, Chief Ferguson, he's one of the best chiefs of police in the country, and uh, he meets with me every single day and updates me. And I'll tell you the uptick in domestic violence, the uptick in suicides, and one that really is unsettling to me is the lack of child abuse reports because people are not getting out, and so they aren't able to see and report and. So yeah, there's an impact to this pandemic on the other flip side that a lot of people forget about.
2: So in your community, you are sadly seeing an increase in suicides, you said?
3: Suicides, domestic violence, and then And then
2: there's there's fear about not knowing about potential child abuse.
3: Yes, that is one that I'm highly concerned about.
2: So you also did something that I Found quite interesting. Uh, You put together a public service announcement. You know, uh,
3: family, right, Major? I mean, I got a ton of kids.
2: Well, it's not only a big; it's a big family. I mean, yeah.
3: So, tell my audience a little
2: bit about that.
3: So, um, because of the pandemic, everybody's home. So, lucky me, I have every kid home and their spouses, and. Two of my boys play for the New York Jets, and so and they're large and hilarious and fun, and we have a loud house. And so as we were thinking, how do we promote this big push of the coming out of the White House, the six-foot distance push? And so my shortest boy is about 6'6", six, six, and then it goes to 6'8", or 6'7", and then I have one cute little boy that's almost seven feet tall um the plays for the Jets. So we thought, let's put them to work while they're here. I might as well make them earn their pay and home and food while they're here.
2: So the uh, pitch in Provo is to stay a kafusi apart, which is six feet or more, correct?
3: Six feet or more, exactly, because there's a, a there's a lot of more. <laughs>
2: <laughs> yeah, they put the more in six feet and more. Yeah. And you actually, if I understand it, you have uh, an un- unfurlable... Mm. Uh, like yard uh, marker or something to help people do this
3: we do and we will give them out if people request them and it has taken off like you wouldn't believe everywhere the kids and I go it, we, people, stay a Capuccio away, and, and it's just it's one way to take this really hard serious situation and, and put a little bit of, of fun in it to kind of up the spirits of the community
2: so just so I understand, my audience understands, uh, your restaurants never closed? No. Do they have a capacity limit?
3: Yeah, in fact, they actually were only allowed to do um, drive up and take out for, we opened up about, it will be two weeks ago this Friday, we opened up to in-house dining, but with regulations, having to... You know, if there's one booth, the next booth was x'd with with yellow tape, and then the next booth, and and so yeah, we're opened up.
2: And uh, do the servers have to wear face coverings or gloves?
3: There are tight tight guidelines: gloves, face masks. Menus have to be disposable. You can only pay with a credit card. Um, we have that. The amazing thing is, we actually even opened our record our. Our recreation center is one of the top recreation centers in the country. Um, It is a huge facility, and we were able to figure out how to open that up and manage the social distancing, um, taking the temperatures and all those things. And so we're in business.
2: So in the last minute 30 we have, this is a big topic. Uh, As the summer continues, everyone who's ever been to central Utah knows how beautiful it is you're going to have people coming in outside of your community, as in just naturally. Sure. How much do you worry about that, and how will you try to cope with that?
3: Well, again, we just push out constant commercial, the media about, you know, if you're coming here, this is how we do it here. And we're asking the people that live here that might be hosting their cousins or, or, or family members to please educate them on this is how we do it in Provo so that the trailheads won't have issues, so that our mountains and biking, our mountain biking, our picnicking, our river fishing, we have a beautiful Pearl River, all those amenities can be accessible. We want people to come and enjoy, but you just have to be socially responsible.
2: Does that mean wear a mask or face covering on a trailhead or a trail?
3: Um, For us, I would say it's optional. I just tell you, I'm a trail runner. I don't wear a mask. When I run, I just don't because I can social distance. There's not enough people that I'm worried about. And it's really self-regulating. And I self-regulate. And if I ever did feel I was being compromised at some sort, I have about six of them in my car. I have some in my office. They're all around if I need them.
2: That's the voice of Michelle Kafusi, the mayor of Provo, Utah. Madam Mayor, it's been a pleasure. Stick around. We're going to have a little bit of a conversation for the especial for our radio audience. That's the end of our mayor doubleheader. For the radio audience, we'll see you next week.
1: From CBS News, this is The Takeout
2: with Major Garrett. Welcome to your Takeout Outtake Especial, the kind of fun and games part of our program. Uh, mayor Steve Adler of the great city of Austin, Michelle Kafuzi, the mayor of Provo, Utah, will be part of this uh, doubleheader conversation, if you will. And Mr. Mayor Steve Adler in Austin, uh, Austin has, I believe the best mu- live music scene in America. Nashville might uh, suggest otherwise. Other cities might want to elbow their way into that conversation. But let's just say Austin is right near the top, if not the very top. How do you imagine that vibrant part of Austin continuing in this new reality?
1: You know, I'm concerned about that because, quite frankly, uh, the, the musicians uh, and the and the uh, baristas uh, are among the, the most vulnerable uh, populations in our community when something like this hit, uh, beginning with the canceling of uh, South by Southwest. Uh, so we're trying to, to address that as on many different fronts as we can. Certainly the artists themselves have been incredibly uh, innovative. There are a lot of, of home concert series uh, that you can go online and, and, and participate in where the concert isn't in your home, it's in the musician's home. Uh, but you can can sign up and then and then tip through that. We've had uh, concerts and uh, streaming events, uh, and that kind of thing is real important to have. Uh, we're taking a look at all the different ways that that this industry can continue to function and artists can continue to get uh, paid uh, even during this period of time. I'm making sure that I I, I tip. Uh, very aggressively uh, in these situations and, and certainly urge everybody in my community to do the same thing uh, but we've also taken some of our cares money the federal money that's come in and and put it uh, directly toward uh, uh, artists uh, in our city we're going to be considering a, a resolution next week uh, that brings uh, uh, support for for venues uh, for for artists which is hard in our city we're losing many venues as is as as prices go up and you and you can't you have a great music venue and you just can't pour enough beer between ten and two uh, that able to pay the rent uh, so so we're looking at uh, that industry in particular because it is a big part of who we are and our brand and back in the 1970s passing through town at UT that's one of the reasons why I stayed so as the live music capital of the world, it's a priority.
2: Uh, what about Austin City Limits? Doable? You know, I think Austin City Limits will, will, will
1: continue. You know, it's a broadcast uh, show. Uh, it has to. Uh, you know, and the infrastructure, I think, is there to be able to, to, to support that uh, longest running, I think, TV show. Um, so um, uh, that's real important to our city. And I, I, I hope and expect that they'll, they'll be able to make it.
2: Very good. So we have uh, three questions that we've kind of always asked for the three years of this program, but we've adapted them to the COVID-19 circumstance. So is there anything you have been binge watching uh, during this crisis? Uh, any music you have found particularly uh, inspirational or uplifting, and have you read anything during this period of time that you have found important from an informational point of view or just to uh, get you through at a psychic level?
1: Well, so the first question about binge watching, you know i live in I live in a in a home where my three girls were all coming back to celebrate my birthday with me in March. Only one of them made it as the virus was coming. Uh, but she and her husband, uh, my son-in-law and their two children, my grandchildren, have been with us for the last nine weeks. Uh, the, my grandchildren's mother is very strict about screen time. So I am absolutely missing this whole binge-watching opportunity. <laughs> I'm not allowed to turn on a TV. Uh, and it's, it's, it's one of those sacrifices to, 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 to be made.
2: Well, when, when, it all ends, I'll just give you two words, Tiger King. Okay. Right.
1: So, so, so I've read
2: <laughs> yeah, any music. Uh, you know,
1: in Austin, uh, there are so many wonderful uh, uh, artists. Uh, I am, I am just trying to spend as much time uh, online supporting as many of the local artists as I can, as I encourage my whole community uh, to do. Uh, and some phenomenal musicians, but they really need our support. And, and help right now. And as the mayor of all of them, I always try not to pick one out.
2: Uh, exactly. In, Understood. In the, Understood. Anything that you have read that's been particularly important or meaningful?
1: You know, I've, I've, I've read uh, now uh, quite a few books on the pandemic back in 1917, 1918, uh, because I think there's still a lot to, to, to learn from that. And uh, it's surprising to me, you know, I've seen pictures of that before uh, and, and when you look at those pictures, it's kind of a historic touch point. You never thought that you would actually be contemplating putting up a tent and laying out dormitory beds uh, that look identical to what you see in the pictures from 100 years ago. Uh, it's frightening. Uh, but to, to see how cities react, I mean, how populations react, the feeling like things are OK now that it's spread, the the speed at which this uh, uh, surges and escalates uh, when it when it happens uh, are all things that are eerily similar uh, to what we're going through now.
2: It's interesting to go back uh, through those books and to see the headlines in many of the major American newspapers. One word that kept showing up to describe the virus was "grip." The grip, yes. And as a, it was instructive as a simple word. Yeah, easy to put in a one-column headline, but also at a more metaphorical level, very telling that this thing was strangling society, it was strangling your lungs. It had a grip on society.
1: And certainly it does here. I mean, for the last eight or nine weeks, it's been hard for anybody to talk about anything other than, than this. And uh, it is all, all around and it is all pervasive, uh, starting out as a health issue, hitting the economics issue, now hitting the social issue. Um, it's still a good word for, for what we're dealing with.
2: No doubt. Mr. Mayor, it's been a great pleasure. Thank you very much. Good luck to you. Good luck to all the people in the great city of Austin. And be well, and we'll talk to you soon. Thank you, Major. You be safe. Thank you. So, uh, Madam Mayor, Michelle Caffousey of Provo, Utah. Uh, This portion of our conversation, we like to loosen it up just a little bit, kind of fun and games. So, we have three questions we ask everybody who's ever been on this program, now three years and running. I've adapted them to the COVID-19 reality. So, ordinarily, I would say, what's your favorite movie or ever? But I'll say, what are you binging or what have you been binging, if anything, during the time you've been at home? And if you've been binging any particular music uh, during that time, I'd love to hear that. And if you've picked up a book or you found something that has been either inspirational or really filled you up with necessary knowledge, let my audience know the answer to that as well.
3: Okay, let's start with books because books are my favorite. I am in the middle of reading Essentialism and loving that book because it was interesting. We decided to read that as a city prior to the pandemic, and then as soon as we're in the middle of it, the pandemic breaks out, and now everyone was using the term essential employees, and so it couldn't have hit at a better time. So it talks about uh, looking at self-reflection, and what is essential and what isn't, and how to get through that and, and streamline your life on all different, your personal, your work life, all your different avenues and become more essential and throw out all the stuff you don't need.
2: Well you were ahead of the curve then.
3: I guess we were. We were forward thinkers. That's <laughs> us. <laughs>
2: okay. What have you been if you've had time to binge watch anything, has there been anything?
3: Yes. So um I so just I'm an essential employee so I have not missed a single day of work and I have been tested for COVID-19 just to make sure I'm there and kind of at the same level as a first responder at this point, And so I've come to the office every day, but on the weekends, I have been binging with my daughter's the show Outlander.
2: Excellent. And uh, any music that you have found either comforting or that has gotten you going or revved you up during the uh, difficulties of COVID-19?
3: That's a great question. I'm loving these questions. (laughs) Anything from the 70s. I just will play on my Sirius XM, the 70s on 7, and just let it go. I love it.
2: So I will, uh, in regards to the 70s, uh, disclose <laughs> that one of our guests on this program, a congressman from Ohio, you may have heard of Jim Jordan. He uh, confessed that he's not a big music person, but his wife is, and his wife loves the Carpenters, and so he considers himself a, fr- a fan of the Carpenters. I consider that a kind of mini-scandal. Uh, I'd just like to throw that out at you, <laughs> Madam Mayor. Well,
3: I'm just going to tell you, I will confess, the Carpenters music CD is the first thing that plays at Christmas time at our house. We love the Carpenters music CD. (laughs) There
2: we go. That's two of you, ladies and gentlemen. That's two. No, I'm just kidding. The Carpenters have a huge following and deservedly so. Anyway, Madam Mayor, it's been a pleasure. Thanks for playing uh, the fun and games part of the program. And uh, good luck to you and everyone in Provo. Thank
3: you, Major. It's really good to see you again.
2: If you like the takeout, you can listen early and ad-free right now by joining Wondery Plus in the Wondery app or on Apple Podcasts. Prime members can listen ad-free on Amazon Music. Before you go, tell us about yourself by filling out a short survey at wondery.com slash survey.
3: Have you ever wondered how to say good morning in Italian? Or what is goodbye in French? You can ask Alexa. Just say What is happy birthday in German? Or how do you say hello in Japanese? Do you want to know how to say I love you in Spanish? Ask Alexa and start learning a new language today.
2: A story of betrayal you would struggle to believe if it wasn't true. Listen to Blood is Thicker, the Hargan family killings, early and ad-free
1: on Wondery+.